I don't, uh, it's not quite yeah, tilt shift. No, but it's definitely kind of miniature looking. Everything's made out of plastic yep. kind of style, mm-hmm. which I think looks really cool. Yeah, it seems nice. Oh, it, 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 is, it. It, it totally is tilt shifted. I uh, played through. It's that that our style seems incredibly polarizing. I there think a lot of people perfect. out there Wait, that hate it. Who? What? Oh, yeah. You go out are there. Are you fucking kidding me? There are, there, is this fucking like, I think it might Wind be, Waker I think all, it's over Zelda all over again? Look, you motherfuckers. <laughs> this is why we can't have fucking cool shit because you fucking suck. Because you're out there and like, I want my fucking tough adult Link. I only want it to be like Skyrim I now. I want to turn into a wolf. That's right. I want to turn into a wolf and fuck. <laughs> Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and MBs. Hope you're all keeping it easy breezy. Welcome to Warrior Dash Show's stream of four. We're doing it on the Thursday, you know? So close to the weekend, I can almost taste it. By which I, of course, mean all the alcohol I'll be drinking when we get to that mm. point. I'm Shaden, and joining me from across the pond, but close to my heart, I think it's in that direction. I could be wrong. Don't know my compass points. It is the Soul Doctor. I'm just going to keep pointing that way. Hey, everyone. Uh, happy Thursday? It's almost over the week. I'm very, very happy that it's almost over. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, it's it's later than we usually talk about Azerkin, so I don't know if that will influence, <clears throat> excuse me, like if we are more measured or whatever because we're not coming hot <laughs> off the episode, but I don't think so. Somehow I doubt that. <laughs> that No, I'm, I'm not buying that for a second. Us, measured, controlled, erudite even, you might say. <laughs> Bullshit. No. Bullshit. That's not no. what you all come here for, of course. You come for our usual brand of crazy. But anyway, <clears throat> hope you're all doing well. We're, of course, going to cover episode seven of Azekin today. I have to do it for myself, which, man, that's like all of the stuff that's going to be about work ethics and working groups today. I'm going to be here constantly going, big mood, big mood, big mood. I mean, if you've heard me, like Doc knows, me and him have talked many times, you know, in our Discord or in private about the drudgery of me working with people who uh, I tell them to do one thing and they do the other. And it's any wonder that my workplace has not burned down yet. I couldn't believe it today when you told me work was good. I'm as surprised surprised as you are. I am legitimately (laughs) surprised I did not crap a solid gold brick today either. You know, that felt more likely. Mm -hmm. But... You know, life can sometimes surprise us. So anyway, we're going to get on to the episode proper now. Um, Doc, would you firstly be willing to have a look at the Twitter polls for us from last time? Yes, indeed. We had some, we had some choice topics. Mm. And I'm, I've, and the results are intriguing, certainly. Um, particularly the first question. I, I do want to talk about that a little bit because I had a look at this before. That's right. So these are our Twitter polls that you, the listener slash viewer, can vote in at Waroe Desho on Twitter, of course. Um, we put them out during the stream each week. Mm-hmm. So while you're watching, you can vote, but they'll be up for a whole week. So you can vote on them throughout the week. And then we read the results uh, on the next episode. So we're going to get into the episode six polls now. Uh, poll number one, to you personally, does 500 drawings a month as an animator, uh, does that workload sound excessive? And 
51.2% say yes in terms of poor pay. So the workload maybe is not the the big thing there, but the amount of pay that you're getting for the work is is the Mm -hmm. emphasis. But 48.8%, so nearly as many people said uh, yes, regardless of pay, it's too much. I believe that's how I voted. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, no seems reasonable got a whopping 0.00%. So thank God for that. That, (laughs) Right. You know, like, I've been running on a deficit of faith in humanity for a very long time here, so I do appreciate all the people who voted at least either of the first two options. There was only really one wrong answer. But I am fascinated that it's basically a 50-50 split down the middle in terms of pay being the defining factor that allows such a workload to be feasible or acceptable, even if you will, versus... Mm doesn't matter you pay me 10 million dollars every time i do a project and it's still too much it still burns me out and i have to wonder uh, and i mean no disrespect to the people who voted along with me it's the pay problem line but i have to wonder <laughs> it's one of those instances where you've not personally experienced the workload firsthand right and you think to yourself right. oh you know what maybe it's not so bad as long as the pay is understandable but then of course you do the job firsthand and you think to yourself Ugh. i mean little personal anecdote here, uh, although I don't know why I'm calling it an anecdote because it's the truth, but anyway, uh, my sister is a doctor. Uh, she is a full-fledged uh, medical professional. She works for the NHS because I'm in Britain. You know, in case you hadn't gathered that already from various clues, such as my accent and the fact that I have... Actually, I don't have any British stuff in here. I'm not very proud of my country right now for various there's, reasons. There's no Union Jack on the wall. You know, there's no picture of the Queen, like, looking and The only solemn. picture of Queen I... I mean, you see that blank spot there? The only picture of the Queen I'd have would be one on the dartboard. Uh-huh, uh-huh, good. But anyway, sure. but, um, the point I'm making is that she obviously is paid immeasurably well for her work, as she should be, and yet the workload is still intense as fuck. I'm talking like 12-hour overtime shifts for like five days a week, if not six, if not seven, if not even more than that. And that's not including, of course, the studying she does at home. And There's not even more days in the week, and they're asking her to work more. Well, you know, more more hours even, you know. Yeah. So it's one of those things that, you know, you think to yourself, okay, it might seem reasonable from a pay perspective, but I think it's something that you truly have to experience firsthand uh, in order to perhaps get the fullest perspective, if you will. And that's not even necessarily an animation. It's just working a really, really tough and, like, you know, demanding job that may pay well, may not. But even if you got paid well, it might still be a bit much for you. Anyway, that's just all I wanted to say on that particular question. So I'm going to pass it back to Doc. Okay, so uh, shouts to the people in chat. It's 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 filled up all of a sudden, um, but yeah, you, know, you. I was laughing a minute ago because you put that a lot more charitably than I thought that you were going to put it. Uh, so very very good. <laughs> you, you'd be su- you'd be surprised how often I can choose not to call people simpering twits. Yeah, yeah I thought you were going to be like, oh, you gonna, voted that I'm way sa- because you've never worked a day in your goddamn life or something I'm like save, that. I'm saving my vitriol site, folks, for when we do After Hours, which is our patron-only What We've Been Up To podcast, where mm-hmm. I'll be talking about the Crunchyroll Awards, and no prizes for guessing what two topics I'll be talking about in relation to that. The drink menu. That's uh, my guess. <laughs> You're going to be talking about the... The theme. I bet even that, I bet even I bet even that was shit at the Crunchyroll Awards, <laughs> but that's a discussion for a different uh, well for a different podcast that we'll be doing later, of course. Anyway, onwards, stock onwards. Yuri on the rocks. Um. <laughs> so, poll two. What quote unquote prohibited deals 
were the lure club, the lure club, in fact, guilty of. And all participating, uh, all, all options got votes here. Uh, but the winner, the, the thing that the, our listeners and viewers thought that uh, the lure club were, in fact, guilty of were gigantic mousetraps, 45.5%. Excessive breadcrumbs. <laughs> the lure club so this is this whole poll is from the fact that like on the the big board of club problems yeah the the lure club were said (laughs) to have prohibited deals many amazing small details in this show like Um, i just love shit like that so fake pokeballs are on here at 13 and a half percent and illegal fishing rods also 13 and a half percent i think i went with fake pokeballs so uh you know my i i did not I did not come close to, to winning this one, but they're, they're all good choices. Poll three, have you ever been in a situation where, like Asakusa, you've had to relate a project-slash-pitch-slash-topic of passion to an out-group and found it difficult to do so? 100% said yes, they have been there for show. Um, yep. So, I mean, I mean, this is clearly a universal scene. I mean, for all that you and I, Doc, gab off on a podcast to people across the world every week, you know, I might appear confident, but confidence is not something that is you you have universally, you know? You don't mm-hmm. have the same amount of confidence you have in one context versus another. So I could be, you know, all jibber-jabber, spouting my bullshit on here, no problem. But then you get me inside an office room, and I've got to deliver a PowerPoint mm-hmm. to... Two dozen people, particularly if they're not even in the same company, and you might think, well, that's not a problem then, but in fact, the stakes are higher then. Mm. And then suddenly I'm just here like... That's uh, that's a hard, that's a really hard place to be as someone who's been a similar... Yeah, oof, that's tough. Listen, I... (laughs) Whatever you may think of me and my my, uh, confidence level and demeanor on stream or on pod, it's because you're not in the room also. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> that there's physical dis not you Shadon, but you the listener i think i can handle just you you're no you 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 did mean that because you no. know you feel well you've got the entire ocean between us that's enough distance i can insult We're not i can safely a- insult you uh yeah why don't you come across that body of water and get me <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but no if we were all together if this were somehow at a convention like a live recording of this show uh I would be a, a puddle on the floor instead of a solid human behind this microphone. I'd, I'd, I'd just be there, like, having a, a cheeky drink, and someone would ask me, uh, Shads, is that a hip flask? And I'd go, what hip flask? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the most giant hip flask. <laughs> it's a backpack, <Yeah>. actually. <laughs> just with a straw in your mouth. Um, and you just, like, squeeze a squeeze ball, and it gives a squirt. Uh, is uh, poll four... Is the show's balancing its depiction of Kanamori as an unflappable queen versus the very draining reality of exhaustion and hard graft involved in project management? So this, I, I probably read that in a way that was confusing. Basically, the poll is asking, do you think that the show is doing a good job balancing, like make, making Kanamori feel human in addition to being the incredible force of nature that she is? And yeah. Uh, Fifty-five and a half percent said absolutely, it's doing a great job. Eleven um, percent said it's it's a bit shaky on that front, and thirty-three point three percent, a third of our voters said that they were Stanamores. Um, that's listen, it's never going to catch on. I'm sorry. Oh, 
I'm, I'm go sorry. home. Go home. That's it. <laughs> Podcast's over. It's like I was immensely proud of that. In admittedly the way that you know a child is immensely proud of when they've completely fucked something up. <laughs> and they're just like, I did this thing, it's stupid, but I'm proud of it. Uh yes, Caesar, I would if we were to a live recording, I would become the juice. The juice is my rap. The juice. That we would uh Yeah, yes. So <clears throat> I'm sorry, but but Stanamore is 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 as fetch, you know. Don't don't try to make it a thing. Uh, poll five. If you're an artist slash writer or creator in general, have you ever felt doomed to failure through imperfection? Uh, I.e. that you can't please everyone with your work, even though you feel that you should do. Uh, 90.9% said that yes, they have felt this. Um, they have felt that kind of... of resignation uh and uh extremely lucky nine percent said that they have not felt that i'm very jealous of mm-hmm. you the people who voted no to that that's that's legitimate by it. that's not me being sarky that's not being being you know like to hell with you and all that like you know nothing i would love to live in that kind of zen state where yeah. i'm comfortable with my output believe me and i'm not even talking in terms of the podcast i'm talking everything else all of it Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> anyway, also, if you're, yeah. and, and if you're in a situation which is probably more common for an artist where you're like your own boss oh god you, yes it probably is like uh like you probably I, I well i say probably i hate to generalize because like the, you could feel a lot of different ways in that situation but i guess i could see it more feasible for an artist who's their own boss to just not feel that you know what i mean to be like look mm. i don't answer to anybody like you're you're paying me, uh, you know. You've, I've got you, the client. You said what you want. Here it is. If you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe if you don't have to like have a boss to please, you know, just someone else like uh, like uh, sort of a threat to your your income. Maybe it's easier I, for I, I don't know though. But but clearly, you know, ninety percent of the creators that did respond say that they have actually felt that kind of pressure. Uh, that kind of doom um, because they can't please everybody with their work. So uh, those are the polls. Again, Indeed. Thank you very much, everyone, who took part in them. Uh, we'll be having more coming along mm-hmm. uh, as we cover the show. So do take part at Warriedash on Twitter. Uh, there are no right or wrong answers except for the ones that we tell you. That's right. Say <laughs> there are a few, but not many. Monsieur, Monsieur, swear. Do you want to hear oh. about? Uh, <clears throat> do you want to hear about the episode director? Yes, I do. For uh, drop drop the deets on me, Doc. You know, bring me all of your information. Well, I'll bring you what I can find. Uh, because ah, uh, the internet ever reliable <laughs> quotes. Well, it was good. No, it was okay because I was worried. Right. So so episode seven. Uh, I have to do it for myself. Watashi wa watashi o sukunda is uh, directed by. Oyunamu. Oyunamu. Okay. Yep. No. Did, no did, other names. <clears throat> just simply. No other names. Well, the, well, this is what I was going to ask because did Oyunamu like you know do the entire episode on their own, much in the same way as the title would suggest? I have to do it for myself. <laughs> Tell of you, Masaki Yuasa. I will make this episode single-handedly. Just me. I. I. Uh, let's go with that. <laughs> but um, so I had like a bit of an issue. 
Because I looked for the person's name. I looked for this name, Oyunamu. Namu. Uh, couldn't find anything. But uh, I went to the Anime News Network forums, and um, so that is the the person's Twitter handle. Ah. Uh, so, well, it's either mm, either that or his Twitter handle is Oyunam, and I don't know, there's some, like, weirdness where one thing is the Twitter well, handle and one thing is his, his professional working name. Maybe well, someone clearly, in the I, chat I, understands. Clearly, I need to start signing all my checks as Shade in 1010. Then you, you should, know, if that, definitely. If, if that's the in thing now, where you start using your Twitter handle instead of your actual name for crediting and such, then I'm, I'm going with that. Wikipedia doesn't have all the info. You're right, Jiro. Um, if only Sakuga Blog will get off their lazy asses and update. <laughs> no, just, I totally, I mean, I'm completely I mean, Sakuga is mentioned as a word multiple times in this episode. You know, is that true? Almost, yes. Did I miss that? Kana, I missed that. Kanamori, Kanamori says the word Sakuga several oh, times. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. And to which it could become its own drinking game, uh, provided Perfect. you have at least two bottles of Jägermeister. Perfect. Or your spirits of choice. So, uh, Oyunamu, or Oyunam, um, as the ANN page calls this fellow, um, got a smallish um, CV, but a good one. Uh, we've got some interesting stuff on here. Uh, f- directed five episodes of Kaiji, the first season. Ooh, okay. Now I'm on board because, like... That show and that art style alone is worth talking about. Never mind, like, the actual content of it. I mean, good Christ, everyone is ugly as fuck. But that's the point of the show, as it turns out. Yeah, uh, really great show. So happy that got that caught on. Like, uh, I I haven't read the source material, so I don't know how it is as an adaptation. But, like, on its own, it's awesome. I've I've never come this close to having an aneurysm while watching a Highwire game. <laughs> so <good>. Believe me. <laughs> uh, got a couple of episodes of Death Note under his belt. Um, an episode of Dr. Stone from last year. Well, was that this year or last year? That was last year. It would have been. Yeah, <laughs> early Dr. Stone was last year. So episode four of that. Uh, Azekin 7. Was the photography assistant on an episode of Little Witch Academia? Um, I don't really know. I can't even visualize what that would be like, that that job. Um, he was a, operating the Instagram account. Come on, he, we've learned that he used his Twitter handle. So clearly he's all about the social media. I assume it's he, of course. Gotta be on the Instagram. Gotta be handling all that. Mm-hmm. Here's the production photos for Little Witch Academia. Let's go. I got a couple of credits on some Transformer shows, Cybertron and Energon, a Shin Megami Tensei like spinoff deal, um, a show I've never heard of called uh, My Sister, My Writer. Wait, um, why? Writer, uh, that, not writer, that... the class, but writer as in scriber. I am almost 100% certain I've seen people live tweet about that when it was airing, and apparently it's. It's the worst. Okay, I, I believe. I'm clicking on um, it. My, uh, uh, yeah, it was a 2018, so you would it would have been a thing that that would have been live tweeted. Yeah, I, I had like the the you know the moment when the Death Star gets blown up in Episode Four, 
Oh, sorry, when Alderaan gets blown up, I mean to say, mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan Kenobi just sits down and he looks like he's having a massive migraine. <laughs> That's what I felt like then when you mentioned that show. <laughs> the great I disturbance. Felt, <laughs> I, felt, I felt certain that I'd heard, and it, it was basically, I want to fuck my sister. That's what I thought the show, uh, understood the show was about. Oh, I mean, uh, I could have guessed. I mean, feel free, folks, by the way, who are watching both on uh, Twitch or YouTube or even just getting this in audio format, Clip out of context all you fucking Oh want. my god. I, I, can't can't... Even, I can't even stop you now. So like, it's too late. The distribution on this of user ratings is pretty telling. Um, it's not well, one of those that's like all bad. It's like there's just as many really bad as there are really good. Um, but, so it's shit then. But under, under themes, it simply says the word emoto. Yep. Who knew that was a... Never mind. Well, I'm um, glad you escaped that. <laughs> recently, my sister is unusual. Also did a... Also... Also did a... There was a unit director on that show. Oji-san to Marshmallow. Another Marshmallow show that we brought up on this show. Uh, on this podcast. <laughs> um, I've actually heard good things about Oji-san and, and, and Marshmallow. Um, please... Please... Write in if you've seen this <laughs> and you enjoy it. Um, yeah, no, that's that's the that's the CV there. Um, but we we need to now shout out, and I'm going to Google live here on air. Um, oh my god! The person who did the the end card. Um. Kenji Maeba mm-hmm. uh, has a lot of Azokin credits. Oh, uh, in addition to being the end card illustrator for this episode, Mecha Design episodes ah. one, one through six. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're. I mean, if you're going to pick anyone to do the end title card, it's got to be the person who's done all that amazing concept art that we've seen of the robots and such. Makes sense to mm-hmm. me. You don't put the janitor doing this shit, so there you go been a key animator on the show on every episode except episode three um and on episode three he was hungover he was <laughs> no he was doing digital animation so his <laughs> his his hands have been on every episode of the show so far um but this person also did a key animation for Devilman crybaby episodes two and six Holy I was cow. wondering when we I was wondering when we get a crybaby uh-huh. alumni the there's some some science saru folks uh fate apocrypha a good television show um, <laughs> did some some uh was an animation director um is there anything else uh oh key animation in ride your wave so look out for look out for look his out work for me, here look out for me talking about that next mm-hmm. week and then some stuff i haven't heard oh what kizu kizu monogatari part two um the, the he's an in-between animator for that film and those films are lavishly uh spectacularly animated so good stuff there for my Ava. feels well it feels fitting for the content of which of this episode in question actually funnily enough uh so speaking of which i suppose now's the time to actually talk about it right so who'd have thought ladies gentlemen envies that we would be getting an anime adaptation of parasite as early as we would because the opening frame of this fucking episode is mizuzaki's house and that was my immediate thought it's like oh it's the park's house 
Except it's somehow even more ridiculously, like, elaborate. To the point where she has a swimming pool that also looks a lot like a fucking racetrack. Just just mm. go look at the very opening frame of this episode. It's just nuts. Um, but what we otherwise get prior to the uh, cre- opening credits is possibly the most wholesome couple of minutes of anime you will watch this year thus far. It's so sweet. So, so we get to meet um, super young Mizuzaki when she's chilling with her grandmother. Mm-hmm. And her grandmother, um, I confess my ignorance of Japanese culture on this one. I'm going to assume that it's not because the tea tasted like dog shit. I'm going to assume that it's something else. Uh, her grandmother is basically... There's a reason I drank my uh, soda before, by the way, because uh, I didn't want to actually demonstrate this live on air and just have it fly on my one of my electrical outlets. But, you know, she's swirling the glass like all this and that, and then just goes, whoop, and throws it away. And my, my guess is that there was, it's like a leftover. Like, it was a glass that someone had drunk tea from, like, a while ago, and she mm-hmm. was just like, well, I want to make some fresh tea. So I'm going to toss out this old tea before doing so. It's what happens to me every time I drink Corona. You get to the bottom of that bo- of that bottle, and it just tastes oh, like shit. You don't like a Corona? No, not really. Not even with the lime. I mean, Corona sans lime. It's, accept- it's acceptable. It's but, okay. I like it. I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't really go in for just satisfactory. If you know what I mean. Sure. You know. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, uh, Misazaki is completely enthralled by her grandmother just throwing this out and asks her to keep doing it as well. Uh, which is all important, by the way. It's, like, very formative in terms of her, you know, wanting to animation. Um, but then we also learn that as she grows up a little bit older, uh, she's now taking classes on what I believe to be walking down a catwalk, or at the very least on proper form and... Uh, Bell- ballet, I think. I think ba- this is ballet. Mm-hmm. Okay, ballet, then. Uh, Either so- that or maybe gymnastics, but it feels like ballet. Well, I don't think it's a class in banging one's head against a wall, even though I know that Mizuzaki has <laughs> uh, girl. I know. Figurative, figuratively, uh, yeah. you know, uh, had to go through that. But anyway, uh, so the classes, you know, the ladies instruct them, okay, here's how you sit up and here's how you sit back down in a way that looks very dignified, as opposed to when I stand up, which is usually me, you know, falling out of my chair and stumbling sideways. And that's not even when I've had a drink, by the way. <laughs> um, but... For all that that's happening, Mizuzaki is in her own world taking notes of, like, the instruction, but not actually following it, which is key. Um, mm-hmm. We get um, a demonstration here of what it's like to walk, like, one leg in front of the other to get the, uh, you know, very comely, like, feminine look that you get from catwalk models, like uh, Dana says in chat, for example. Um, but, yeah, I think that it's some sort of, like, combination of etiquette, ballet, form, you name it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Either way, like you said, she's learning form and posture. Yeah. And that is going to be key for something I'll be talking about later. So uh, put a pin in that as I'm very fond of saying. <clears throat> so, yeah, she's taking notes of the, how this works. And indeed, she then sees a TV program, which looks like some sort of, like, you know, a hard-boiled cop drama. Uh, it's sadly not Jula Richard, though. I think she might be able to learn some things from that. But, well, she'd have to be our age to see it. Um but she in turn notes like that the guy sits up from the chair in a particularly like you did that kind of way like you know <laughs> yeah. and then and then she's like whoa i can see a link to all of this um i'll also incidentally note by the way that i couldn't help but think that the wall in her living room looks like a climbing rock like wall cuz it's got loads of like little hand <laughs> it looks like it's got handholds mm, on it maybe <laughs> <laughs> no nah, I, I think that's i think that's just incidental um 
But we see her growing older and actually then repeating the teeth throwing trick that her grandmother did, um, which she actually finally, you know, pulls off. She's got the precision down. Precision's the key word mm-hmm. here. Um, and then she's teaching her grandmother uh, about the posture um, and, you know, the movements of getting up out of a chair that she learned when she was younger. Um, or rather, I'm sorry, not when she was younger, when she was at the class, I mean to say. Um, now, this is just an interpretation of things, maybe wrong here, but do you think that her grandmother was not able to really stand up on her own power easily until that happened? I, I think... I, it doesn't may- really matter. It's, it's, this is just nitty-gritty stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm just, I'm just curious. My take on it was, like that you know time is going by right as we see the episode you know we begin when Mizu's very little at the point you're talking about she is um in you know primary school maybe grandma has had uh has started to have more issues where standing up is just really difficult um there is a wheelchair yes and so it's like I don't want to say, like, oh, Mizuzaki healed her. Now she can walk or whatever. But, like, you know, she's like, look, I can I can help you stand up now, Grandma. You can go ahead and get out of bed. You don't have to, to wait or stay in bed today because I can show you how to do it in a way that will not hurt your back as much. Hmm. But nonetheless, all of this, the rest of these scenes, like, are really, really sweet. Mm-hmm. And... Like, the, just the scene, for example, of the first person shot at Mizuzaki's grandmother, um, like, you know, with the holding hands, like, swaying back and forth. Like, I was just like, boom, 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 boom. I'm like, fuck? I've got a heartbeat. No! I thought I got rid of that. <laughs> thought I'd had rid of that long ago. Uh, but no, um, that's the end of the flashback at that point before the opening credits. Um, An incredible three term- minutes, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Like I say, most wholesome three minutes of anime you'll probably watch all year. Um... But anyway, so after all that, you know, things are progressing with the Azerkin. We've got, you know, Sound Club, uh, you know, starting to move their stuff in. Production's moving forward on the show proper. Game, you know, things are getting along. Although there are problems. Can I hold my hands up here? Mm-hmm. I think when we talked about the Sound Club chairperson, I think I misgendered them. Because I thought based on the wardrobe that they're wearing in that episode, very casual. I, I just, I don't know. I assumed they were a guy, but clearly based on the school uniform, she's a lady. <laughs> so uh, my fault if a couple of episodes ago I did that and you remember and you're like, Doc, Doc, you were wrong. I remember. And so I hold my hands up and say, yes, I was wrong. That's my my bad on that one. There's a sound thing. Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, I kid, I kid. We all make mistakes. But yeah. At least, but we, we own up to them, which is the main thing. So anyway, uh, speaking of sound effects, though, it's time for voice acting. And doesn't everyone love a good bit of voice acting? Especially when it's done by people who cannot follow instructions. Oh, man. <laughs> because, this part was great. Because, again, like, this being an amateur or even indie production, if you will, there are, how should we say, compromises being made, and a certain amount of ego is bleeding through from various parties. Not least of which being the Robot Club, who, of course, want to voice the characters in the very, sh- uh, you know, short film that's being made for them. Uh, so, what I like, by the way, is a nice, amusing contrast here, is that, of course, we've had throughout the show's run thus far, that is Azekin, you know, Asakus are, like, constantly making, like, <laughs> Like, kind of noises, you know. She fills in sound effects whenever she's describing stuff. And we do have that here with this gentleman, but, like, there is a time and a place for it. And him, you know, like, 
<laughs> him like bringing that in and not so good not so good so they however realize that part of the problem is that they need to give him an actual proper storyboard video to be able to practice with it because it's all about timing making sure it syncs up and the more that you think about this, like, the crazier it becomes, like, how difficult it must be to get sound effects of a certain length lined up with a certain scene. Indeed, later in the episode, we'll see Asakusa actually timing um, motion as she's drawing. It's not just simply, you know, filling out, like, ends and ends of animation. You've then got to make sure the sound is the right length for it. There's a lot of consideration that you might otherwise consider. So... That continues. Work is ongoing. Uh, the opening song has been ditched entirely, which... It's a damn shame, because I honestly thought Jam Project would have pulled through on this one, but I'm guessing we'll just have to leave it for another time. Yeah, I, part of me is, like, wondering, you know, what... Was you this... don't doubt the Jam, Pro, uh, Jam no, no, no. Project, No, oh, no, I love the Jam Project. <laughs> I was the one who suggested the Jam Project uh, last week, but, like, I'm wondering wh- what... Like, is this, like, real life bleeding into the work? Like, did they last... Did they like a week or two ago have plans to do an OP and then now they realize we just can't fit this in the show. So in storyline we have to scrap it cuz that would be fascinating. Or it was this the the plan the whole time like to just, you know, be like well we'll say this and then we'll take it out. I think that it's one of those things like you and I have discussed before like even in terms of us making this podcast we have ambition oftentimes for what we want to put into like our structured content. Mm-hmm. Um versus what we actually end up being able to execute on. I've had ideas for skit skill lore, and I'm like, no, this is too much work for too little return, or it's not feasible for me to do in the time frame I want, so on and so forth. So I think that's another element of it, you know, like where complications will arise because things cannot be done in the time frame that you want them to be. Uh, speaking of complications, uh, we now have the other, you know, uh, how should we put this wrench in the works, which is the art club. They've brought the backgrounds. And if you remember... <laughs> If you remember, Askus said, see this car? Do you see this fucking car here? Do you see this yellow-coloured car? I may be possibly paraphrasing her words a little bit here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By which I mean completely paraphrasing them and making right. them up. Yes. But do you see this car? Uh, this car, you don't draw it onto the background. We're just putting it there for reference because it'll be a cell later. So, of course, uh, gentleman with the cloudy glasses and the big moppy hair, he's like, I'm totally drawing a fucking car. I love cars, mate. <laughs> I love cars. <laughs> I love trucks. Yeah. Uh, also love. them, like, screwing up the minutiae of, like, you know, the sunset and the direction of the light coming in and all that. And this is, again, another scene where poor Askus, like, she is trying her best within her capacity to say some, you fucked up. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but she can't because that's not Just in her sweating. nature. Like, Just sweating. Yeah, and... <laughs> I don't really blame her. Like, there are times before when I've, like, in my workplace, tried to direct people and such when they've cocked up. And there are other times where I just don't have the nerve to do it. It's understandable, you know. It's perfectly reasonable bad behavior. Um, but eventually, yeah, the other, as um, Cesar says, uh, what looks like uh, Kanamori's, like, distaff cousin ah. <laughs> uh, intervenes and says, look, we'll, we'll fix it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, but when they leave, Asakus is like, uh, you know... Hey, that's all good. And Canterbury's like, you do realize you just took on all this extra work for yourself. It's and faster like, to do it myself than to explain to someone else how to do it. And my <laughs> God, what a... Man, it's the like of shit I've... <laughs> yeah. No, you go ahead. The amount, go ahead. The amount, the amount of shit I, like, times I've like built a spreadsheet or done some spreadsheet work. And I'm like, okay, 
how do I how do I do an average on a spreadsheet? Yeah. And I'm like, I could explain it to you. It's not difficult. You type equals average and then select the cells you want to average. <laughs> Jesus Christ, like, you know, it's not like inserting, like, you know, nuclear control rods into a reactor. But then I think to self, ah, fuck it. I'll do it myself. So I can, I, yeah, eminently relatable content here from Azerkin. But Kanamori, though, is correct in that Askuza is supposedly fulfilling the role of director and she must therefore she direct. She has to delegate. Tell them, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. You have your responsibility. you got to stick to it. you got to deliver on what you have been tasked to do. Project management again. It's like, uh, um, inst- like you have to have some short-term sacrifices for a long-term gain in health of your project. Like, mm-hmm. this is what I... I so I hire people uh, and I build this into to the hiring like because i know that the first like there's going to be a learning curve and there's going to be a bit where productivity falls behind because i'm training people like people don't are not going to come in and just know how to use the content management system and know all the right protocols for communication and all that stuff so i have to like train them but like once that's done the productivity goes way, way up from before they were hired. And it's like, you have to make that like sacrifice again. And she's, you know, she's learning. She's a kid. She has social anxiety and this is going to be really hard for her. And I just, I feel for her because this is until you really start doing this kind of shit. Like it's really hard. (laughs) Delegating is really hard. It is. I mean, Kanamori's going down to a C, but the thing is though, what is key to remember here is that Kanamori is not an animator herself. She has to translate, if you will, from Asakusa or Mizuzaki. But what would really be better is if it was Asakusa actually herself doing both, because then there's no lost in translation issue, if you will. But anyway, the gauntlet's laid down. Kanamori says right to both and look, you know, we've got a certain amount to do. Don't delegate. I'm sorry, rather do delegate. Don't like, you know, take my short for yourself necessarily. We then cut to class, and even in class, Mizuzaki is just like, nope, nope, I'm working through here. You see the, you see these angles? You see these tan, sine, and cosine? Don't give a shit. Fuck that. Want to animate? <laughs> Fuck maths. A I've year later, she's dropped out of school and joined an animation studio. <laughs> I can't even spell trigonometry, let alone use it. Good God. Um, but anyway, it starts raining, and there's your second Parasite reference, of course. I guess they were filming the next block over. Um, but anyway... Starts raining, and they decide, okay, we obviously can't really, you know, go home in this, but there's a bathhouse. Let's go visit the bathhouse. Why not? Um, so they end up heading over there. Oh, yeah. It's time to visit the steamy bathhouse for the bathhouse episode, baby. Mm-hmm. Did you say that when we covered Kabuki Cho Sherlock? <laughs> Did I can't I should um no, this is very it's much It's kinda now that you you know you left that door open, it's kinda what? now that you did. This is very much not that sort of mmm baby bathhouse episode. Thank, and thank God. Fuck. <laughs> right, yeah. You'll 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 hear no like, you know <laughs> you'll hear, you, I won't do any half measured response now, thank Christ. But anyway, yeah, they're off to have a good time in the bathhouse, and so they do. Um what we get, by the way, are a number of nice little things like how Mizuzaki is just enjoying the detail of everything, like even the key, uh, or the you know the famous curtain, the ladies' curtain, as it were. Yes, I know. Uh, which he's <laughs> never which been. That's I, so adorable. <laughs> which I will, of course, be uh, putting on the front of my house at some point. You know, just <laughs> oh my god, 
it. No, I kid, I kid. <laughs> um, so they're, we're enjo- now so they're the, enjo- like we're now problematic podcasts. <laughs> We've always been problematic. We always have. Oh, okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, so they're you know chilling out in the bathhouse and. They have like a discussion mm-hmm. about various things, including how Mizuzaki relates being a grandmother's girl, and also says about how she believes her father is basically trying to mold her into being an actress in order to mm-hmm. vicariously live out his mother's, uh, sorry, her mother, his wife's failed ambition, as I understand it. That is right. Um, and wow, like I mentioned in the very first episode about how messy it was that, you know, they're trying to make her pretend to be someone that she's not in terms of pretending to be people that she's not. Mm-hmm. And now we've got them literally asking her to pretend to be someone she's not, who's also her family member, which is crazy. But, I mean, it's also not unheard of, unfortunately, that there are parents who will vicariously <sighs> live through their children. So many, so many parents, yeah. man. And yeah. I don't know, you know, I'm not saying that all of them realize that they're doing it, but good grief. Like, wake up. <laughs> parents get a, get a clue. Like, your kid's... Are not you. Mm-hmm. Not only they're not you, they're like they're their own individual people with inner lives totally independent of like yes, they're dependent on you, but also they're growing into these like unique people that are apart from you and like don't deserve to be like burdened by however you messed up your life or things that you feel like you failed at that you want to make good on. Please don't do that. Mm-hmm. Please, um, like, think sh- about this on a regular basis. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, take, take a step back. <laughs> you know. um, I should note, by the way, that Mizuzaki makes specific mention that they actually do allow her a lot of latitude, just not with Anime Club, as it turns out. Yeah. Um, but that will be important for something I'll be discussing later. Uh, I would be remiss, by the way, if I didn't mention that we also learn in this scene that Kanamori raised pigs for me. That's the thing she tried to do. And I suppose it's fitting because Kanaburi's one goal in life is to make bacon. <laughs> oh. You stop. Don't pat yourself on the back too hard for that one. <laughs> but I'm... I love that that caused you genuine trauma. You look like you've just been punched. <laughs> well, it's like a two-hit combo, okay? So, like, I'm... It's been a couple of days since I've watched the episode, so I'm reprocessing. I'm like having to like reacquaint myself with the fact that once Kanamori raised a pig for meat, which is incredible because, on its own. And then you come over the top of it with your bacon joke. What am? How am I supposed to feel about this? <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. Oh, boy. I'm trying to make a poll, and now I've been completely taken out of it. Look, if you're going to sell bowling pins, don't expect me not to try and strike them. I'm just saying. Uh, But anyway. Anyway. So, after that, they go and get some food. And by which I mean they actually end up catching their own crawfish. uh, Or crayfish, or whatever they are. Um, And again... All about detail here. By the way, before I... Oh, before I forget, before they do leave the bathhouse, uh, there's this wonderful little play fight scene where we get music that sounds almost like it's out of the original Godzilla movie, uh, where Mizuzaki pretends she's a kaiju, but, you know, Asakusa, she's just just like... <laughs> They're such kids. Defense, defensive barrier. <laughs> yeah, the barrier. And, and that's, 
And hey, fair play, they are, and again, that'll also be important for Lisa. Um, Come on, Gero, you know full well my puns are, you know, they're already, like, if you quantify them, they're zero. Zero quality. The question is if they start going into negative territory or not. I'm still working on it. Um, But anyway, so they go and grab food, and Asuka's, like, imagines at this point, like, you know, taking a little, like, boat, or, like, this almost looks like a... um, a roller coaster car, actually, funnily enough, um, into like the flooded city that she imagines, and that's really neat in of itself. I actually, by the I way, really that think story. that if ever Asuka's and never, if she doesn't ever become an animator, you know what she should do? Theme park designer. Hmm. You know, the yeah. greatest world, the greatest world. There you go. I would visit the shit out of that. It would be great. Um, there are probably all kinds of things that an animator slash artist could do that we just have no idea. You know, mm-hmm. what a cool job that would be. I, I, I think that she would be great. At, um, and again, that's also funnily enough, imp- everything's important for Lisa because I've also had a kind of meta realization about this show, but we'll come to that when Ooh, we get to A meta realization. A meta realization. Yeah, I know. Interesting. Um, but anyway, after they eat, uh, Askus was asleep, protect this small child. Mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. just seems like she's only like maybe this this tall. Um, so they end up carrying her home, uh, poor poor little gremlin that she is, uh, with Mizuzaki also coming up with a big mood line of people are heavy and, well, you know. You're going to carry that uh, weight, Mizuzaki. <laughs> uh, you knew you had to say that in that kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, so they make it back to the Azekan house. I think this is actually probably the following day, I believe. Um, and we get a moment that, you know, I mean, <coughs> there have been some great, truly flashpoint moments in human history. I mean, you've had the splitting. Been, there's been the splitting of the atom, for example. Or, you know, the discovery of electricity. The invention of the light bulb. You know, the printing press. I could name more. I'm sure that you can, in, you know, in chat too. But... Would you believe it? The visual novel. I think we, we've been, you know, we've been truly blessed to witness in our time the greatest moment of human history, which is Askusa winning an argument with Kanamori. I know. I know. I mean, fucking hell. We'll, we'll never see it's like again. We have peaked as a culture at this point. Is this before but, but, or after Kanamori is wearing her hat? Because that uh, that was after. a that that was a real moment for me. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Hmm. I mean, if you take um, if you take Asakusa's hat and wear it, you gain her power. That's the way I see it. <laughs> what what like I, a what's her power? <laughs> oh, I guess like uh, the greatest opening. <laughs> yeah, opening a rift to the imagination land. Yeah, that's a good power, indeed. Uh, but what they're currently <clears throat> actually discussing in this scene is the idea that they're looking at the robot driving its chainsaw arm along the floor. And Mizuzaki is just not quite happy with it. Kanamori, uh, even though she's the producer, as Asuka points out, like she has supposed to have a discerning eye, there's a certain like thing that she can't quite bring to it. And that's fine, you know, not everyone has the same eye for detail. I mean, if that was the case, well, there'd only need to be one anime podcast and not the dozens, if not millions of them there are already. Although oversaturated as that market is anyway, regardless. Point being, though, what they realize is that they need to actually not treat the production process quite so linearly. So they actually add in sound at this point while still developing these scenes of the robot to get a better feel for, like, how it's working out. And this is when Mizuzaki lays out her own idea of why she wants to create 
uh, animation, oh, not anime. Uh huh. Animation distinction here. Mm-hmm. And for her, I think that I can sum up basically as precision and minutia. That's what she's all about. She talks about like goldfish tail, cherry blossoms, dancing, you know, all these incredibly elaborate things that are either in terms of just pure sheer detail or in terms of their movement. Uh, we also, by the way, get this incredible scene of Asakusa climbing a tree, which, again, I'm not surprised, you know. But we learn a lot of things about the characters that in reality we just don't actually feel so surprised about. Um, but she points out that the whole idea is that the difference between live action and this is that you can feel a lot more, you know, impact from the motion derived from animation versus from live action. Now, I'll grant you, there are plenty of films out there that can use film in a way to decompress time to really let movements have true impacts. The Matrix is one of them that comes to mind immediately. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't tell me, for example, that Trinity's like, you know, hovering in midair, like, you know, kick would have felt anywhere near as impactful if there wasn't that, you know, panning shot around her. No, but, clearly not. But I, don't, but I don't disagree with her assessment that there's a lot of ways in which animation can, you know, really convey the power of movement. And they do this through an amazing example of a rocket, which I recently discussed Thunderbirds on After Hours, which is like my childhood formative, like, experience and nostalgia. And I got such a great vibe from this because there's similar sequences like that in that show. Granted, they're not animated, of course, but still, you you really feel like, you know, with all the things on, like, here's this tiny, here's this model with this intricate amount of detail, all the smoke coming off, and then it goes over. And it's, I love it. Love that shit. Why um, does it remind me? So, like, what what is the significance of the rocket to her point? Uh, the, she's talking about basically all the little details that go into the build-up of it actually launching, like the smoke coming off, or how there's the trail that goes, you know, when it tilts off at an angle to give it that sense of realism, and also the close-up shots as well, plus the shaking and the smoke. Mm-hmm. All the little things that go together to make it... Indeed, even going for a close-up shot, or like, you know, having a proper landscape shot where you can get a feel of the environment around it. There's a lot that goes into it, even though it's just rocket takes off. Um... She end says a scene that I think, I think that she's right, but only if you think in terms of, you know, God, what was his name again? Ash from Evil Dead, which is that some people out there want to see what the vibration of a chainsaw looks like. I know he does. Um, but rather, what she's into here is the fact that she wants to create like these precise animations um, that <clears throat> can be appreciated by people. There are people out there who can recognize like these small details, i.e. the Sakaburo community, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what she's about. And I can actually elaborate on this a bit further when we talk in a bit about uh, character, because I'll be certainly going into her, uh, on her a little bit. But yeah, uh, that's when the episode ends, when she says, like, you know, that's why I'm doing it. I must do this myself. And indeed, great closing moment, the tea throwing again. Ah. Mm. Mm. This okay. tastes terrible. <laughs> What an episode. Uh, before we get to the talking points, though, um, can you uh, disconnect and reconnect the call? Because me and Jiro are having some issues of you dropping out. Ah, uh, goddammit, Plusnet. Right, fine. Back in a sec. And I'm back. Here we are. I'll do. Okay. Right. So talking points. 
Uh, Doc, I'm going to pass the baton to you firstly, because uh, I've talked for a very long time. And, you know, the police warned me not to talk for more than five minutes at a time before I start, like, you know, becoming arrestable for that. So over to you. <laughs> <laughs> you heard me. You've committed many violations on this podcast I was not aware of. Um, and many that you were. <laughs> okay. Yes, I know. There have been a few. Yes. Uh, okay. Gosh. There's a lot of things. Um, I guess, yeah, I just I just wanted to, again, talk about the, the opening three minutes. And, man, just kind of revel for a moment in how amazing that was as uh, as a montage. I mean, it was... I don't know. I feel like Mizuzaki has been someone who has not... Um, how do I say it? I don't want to say... I don't want to quite say hasn't gotten her fair share because she's been in a lot of scenes, you know, like that. But, like, I felt like this was needed. Like, her, the additional focus yeah. on her was really needed... To, to give some more um, some more sympathy, some more depth uh, the, to the, her. Speaking for myself here, the last time that I think that she really had the focus, again, not to say that she was completely absent or didn't have anything to contribute in the episodes between then and now, mm-hmm. but the last time I can think of that was in episode four when we were, in fact, maybe even episode three, I may have gotten them mixed up, where she's talking about, like, you know, the, the blade swinging, like, you know, and comparing herself to the Ronin or the Samurai. Yeah. I think that, right. to me, was, That's like, right. the last time... Like seeing that that seeing her do the the machete swings while holding it tight. Need I remind you? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been a few episodes, and and we get to see more. In, and it's funny because that that last bit you mentioned was stuff about her as a as a kind of character director, uh, character animation expert person, a sakugo person. And here's some more of that, like her being fascinated with human actions you know we don't i I guess we don't often think about animators in that way that they are true like observers of human action because just motion interests them at a really base level like it's like you know movement and motion that fascinates me so much that i want to like replicate it for for my job um and I want to like imbue it with a specialness that other people don't kind of notice when they're watching mm. it. And this like is very circular. This episode um, in its kind of thematic uh, presentation and, and communication because everything at the beginning in those first three minutes, like that, were shown her and her like her and her life, the things that she's doing, the kind of motivation she's getting. She's just explicit about it, and she tells us about it in a very moving way at the end. But, man, I was really moved by these first three minutes, like, you know, watching her and her grandmother. And and it doesn't have to be this really cold sort of thing. You know, like, animators love movement, and they just, like, reproduce. They're these robots that reproduce movement and make things really cool. It's like... The zombies that live on energy bars. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Wada uh for that but like Mm -hmm. but yeah there was something so amazing about her um either discovering or just us seeing a slice of her indulging in her passion for animation like by spending time with her grandmother 
Like that was yeah. so warm and, and human and, and, uh, you know, and her, like you were saying, like using those moments in etiquette and posture class to like, it, her parents wanted her to be do, using it to do a certain yeah. thing, but it's like, she's just there drawing and she yeah. uses it to help her grandmother <clears throat> and like all that experience, all like her whole life, uh, watching and drawing has like kind of brought her to this moment where she's drawing this robot and she's informed by everything, all those experiences. And she's like putting all that into drawing the robot, like something about just that opening three minutes, all that compressed into three minutes with the music. And it was so amazing. It was one of my Mm. favorite sections of the show. What a sequence. I agree. Um, there's a couple of things I'll add to that firstly as well. And that I admittedly, you know, I didn't know I was going to be doing an anime podcast when I was younger. But I think that I can speak on behalf of some people by saying that if you have a creative passion or a hobby or even a job, there might very well be in your past um, a positive influence from a family member. Someone who might not necessarily directly encourage you to pursue that but might, you know, embrace it and, you know, like, stoke that passion with you. I mean, for example, Misaki's grandmother, <clears throat> like, she, as in Misaki, shows her the pic- the drawing she did of the posture, uh, you know, movements. Mm-hmm. And she's, <clears throat> she approved of that, you know, that was positive reinforcement. She liked that she did that. And I think that it's not reasonable, you know, to say that, you know, there can be people like that in our lives who, you know, we have nostalgic memory for when we were younger, who've then propelled us on to do stuff or extrapolate from that. My own grandfather, um, he, when I was much younger, like, he gave me math problems to solve. Because I asked him to, you know. Just simple stuff. But, you know, like you say, here you go. We used to visit him every Saturday, you Mm -hmm. see, for for lunch. Um, And I'd do them and he'd be like, hey, well done, champ. I was like, you know. And I still remember that very fondly even to this day because he was promoting, you know, he was promoting my intelligence. Mm -hmm. To which you would probably say, why intelligence, champ? So that's not good, Scott. (laughs) But, But, yeah, like, I think that there are figures in our lives who do, you know, provide positive influences on us, you know, and drive us to, you know, go in a direction with creative. I mean, uh, Saku Daichi there has just added that in chat as well. And I'm sure that there are people who do that as well. Now, I grant you that's not true for necessarily everyone. Some people are simply motivated to do a hobby or a passion because that's for them. They don't need a nostalgic, like, you know, push, if you will. But I like that this show acknowledges that. I like how between Asakusa and Mizaki we're getting different shades of the profession if you will like from their origin point of why they do the things they do versus the different types of things they do from world building to character and you know the forces that change on that i mean a little mm-hmm. bit of classes i mentioned with asakusa for example and indeed with me zaki in her own way but for different reasons i like that it's covering these angles they're not simply the same person if you will even with just different names because they're doing the same thing they have their own perspectives and their own histories that inform their current actions that's good stuff this is why you should never think to yourself oh i'm not going to create that because someone's done it before you know you talked about uh there being a bunch of anime podcasts or whatever but like but i think there are differences to each one just like there are differences to each cut of animation or picture or song because like i love that they do this with these opening three minutes like you see everything that's gone into mizu drawing and animating the robot no one else is going to have that no one has that exact pool of influence she owns that that is her like she's putting herself and her experiences like that's all that's like balled up into like the inspiration that is 
pushing her to do it and it's and it comes through like she like her her doing that animation cut is irreplicable like other people could do it but it will be different it will be somehow different because everyone brings their own stuff to the table when it comes to creating things absolutely and there's more that i can elaborate on as well with this about the familial element the scene in which we see at the very beginning where mizuzaki's mother the first time we've seen her comes in is very very telling Mm. hi are you in bed i'm going to work later and then look at the mirror image of her reflection on the window that's her role in mizuzaki's life a shadowy person in a in a frame that otherwise like you know maybe she doesn't care about her becoming an actress but i also would wager she probably doesn't care that much about you know her doing anime if you will she can tend to leave it to her own devices it's not surprising like with that contrast that she says that she's a grandmother's girl even you know with everything else that we've learned from seeing her interactions with her grandmother again very telling i thought that was a really really neat image there and now I suppose I can lead on to my talking mm-hmm. point, which is the idea of precision and freedom. So what I think that this episode is telling us, and it again elaborates more on her character, which I must stress, Aizuken is not a character-heavy show, in my opinion. I think you and I have discussed this before. Mm-hmm. I think it's reasonable to say, moreover, it is a comedy, I would argue. Do you think that's a reasonable assessment? As you, like, know, what you, is- know how I, you know how I feel about this. I don't... <laughs> I would not... I would not Mostly. call it a comedy, though it is comedic. I I, I yeah. feel like it is not. Oh, I'm so bad at this, man. Genres, genre mm. is a fuck. <laughs> what what are we supposed to do here? Like, and fuck is a genre. Uh, yeah. But that's a different discussion for a different day. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, but here's the thing, right? What is really noteworthy about all of this is that we're seeing uh, the how should we say, the application of precision and shaping things applied both to Mizuzaki and in turn Mizuzaki doing it to other things and to Mm -hmm. things that she creates. Like her, you know, her dad in particular, someone we still haven't met yet, which I actually think would be for the show's benefit if we never met him, if he just remains a figure, if you will. You know, Mm -hmm. an an exerting force that we never truly understand or get to learn because that's all we need to know. He really was just the first MIB it was also her dad. I, well, I'll get to the MIBs in a second. Actually, <laughs> oh, okay. I want to ask you. A, I, I want to ask you a question about them. But yeah, like what I think the show is trying to tell us is that it's great to exercise precision and you know learn not you know take knowledge in from you know doing things like something like the ballet. Um, but it shouldn't be used to put people in boxes, if you will, or make them do something against their will. Like we can see a clear delineation, and indeed that's why Mizuzaki at the end I think says I must do this myself because. She's doing this for herself. She's applying. She's applying the precision she's learned over the years, you know. But she's doing it because she wants to, not for a goal that's been set for her by someone else. It's not belabored. This point, I should stress. I mean, this is why I say again, it's not really a character piece. This show, but it is present, and I think it's super neat. I think it goes to show that the acts of like de- of going into exhaustive detail is not in of itself a bad thing. It's how you apply it and what you apply it to. Applying it to fictional characters, go nuts, no problem. Applying it to people, forcing them to be something they're not, that's a problem. Uh, so are we ready to to go to my next oh. point, or did you have more? MIBs. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. MIBs. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so open question. Uh, I personally am going to say ahead of time the answer to this is, eh, who cares? But I'm just okay. curious on your thoughts on it. Do you think it's a problem for the show that we haven't really seen any more interference from Mizuzaki's family or the MIBs in trying to stop her from doing anime? No. In a Because I was going to say, in a more conventional show, I would be bothered by this, because it was, you know, something set up at the start. Mm-hmm. Indeed, the title of the show is Keep Your Hands Off the Azekin. But no one's really trying to stop them now. Mm. But, I mean, I've got a five-letter acronym for you here, which goes something like this. India Delta Golf Alpha Foxtrot. Right. You can figure that one out, Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't mind in this particular show because I think it takes the point as serious as it needs to in which that it was inspiration for a goofy, you know, for a goofy scene in that Gracious World bit in episode one. Mm-hmm. And in of itself was a point that, hey, we can conjure up all the fantastical stories and worlds we want, but look at what's happening right in front of us. So it served that point. Um, so I'm, while I'm, you know, the MIB is not being around, you might think there's a problem. I'm not fussed. What if it's because um, what we do? Sorry. What if it's a Sword Art Online situation, or if you die in the greatest world, you die in real life? <laughs> Zofeng said, "Kanemori oh, killed them all." So I'm dying right dead. now. I, I'm dying right now. Here, you bring up Sword Art Online. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Why would you do this to me? Oh, there are worse things I could bring up, and you know that. I I know there are. <laughs> I know there are. But it's like it's like you know being vaccinated you know like i've I've dealt with this the before and i've got an immunity but i haven't heard the sword out online one for a while and that's why that stinks <laughs> i think um, what if grizzly yeah kanamori just made a phone call and oh <laughs> they're just gone now um she just she's got one of those flip phones that she just clicks into place very ominously and then she goes they won't be a problem anymore yeah. <laughs> it's like takes uh, someone with a code name they're like take care of it and then <laughs> it's over now. Or says, "Ah, says, fed him to the pigs." Jesus oh, Christ, that's some, that's... that's some Sicilian. That's some Sicilian mafia it is. shit. Yes, it is. Uh, 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 so I, 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 yeah, I mean, I don't like because they sort of don't know that she's doing it, which shows you how involved they are in her life, right? Um, mm. Unless they catch her drawing in bed, which I think they almost did once, um, but she hid it from them. Uh, and there was a scene where she's like messing around her ipad i i seem to remember and her like almost getting well, caught you know what's funny you can just mentioned her mother gives her the freedom to do what she wants but i think there's a distinction here to be made which is between giving someone the freedom to do what they want because you don't care yeah. or you're not that interested versus i'm gonna let you do what you want because i want you to be the best you exactly can be. that's not like a gift she's not like giving her a gift she's just uh She's not a very present person in her daughter's life, it would seem Like to I me. said, shadowing it, shadowing it all for But, but... But... I think, so... We have to allow for some cultural difference, because I think, like... I think on the whole, like, Japanese high schoolers are, like, more independent than uh they're like at least american in my experience counterparts just Hmm. in terms of taking care of their day-to-day life and uh maybe amount of time they see their parents because parents are you know usually worked really really hard and super involved in their jobs and kids are learning from a very very early age to like walk themselves to school and take care of their own laundry and you know go to club um so 
But but I think that, that you're right, Shadon, in, in saying that this show is going a bit beyond that. Like, And we see that with the contrast between Asakusa and Mizuzaki talking about their families. In fact, Mizu, yes. um, uh, sorry, Asakusa has to call. She doesn't have to call her mom, but she wants to. She wants to keep her mom in the loop. Like, hey, mom, like I'm hanging out with uh, my girlfriends. Like, we got caught in the rain. <laughs> and, you know... Uh, Mizu's just like, whoa, that's weird. Why, you know, I've never even done anything like that because her, because her parents are just not involved in her life. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think you know, actually, more I think about it, yeah, like I say, title of the show, keep your hands off the Azuka. But I think it's kind of fitting actually that the biggest obstacle to making anime is not, as I say, some goofy MIBs like you know running mm-hmm. around like you know, like can you you can imagine like the scene? It's like in Castlevania season two episode one where they come into uh, Lisa's laboratory and start just throwing shit around. Man. Like, you can imagine the MIBs going into, you know, the Asian club, and they're just, like, you know, pouring jerry cans over it or some shit. Are we going to cover but, Castlevania on this podcast in some form? I feel like tell we us, probably Tell should. us in the chat. Tell <laughs> us in the chat. I will talk about Castlevania for hours. I like Castlevania uh, a lot. It is incredible. Best video game adaptation as of yet, in my opinion. I would be curious if people feel different. Have you seen... Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm gonna go fast away from this topic and answer what I was saying. It made a lot of money. (laughs) It was oh, whoop de fuck did he do? (laughs) I haven't seen it. It looks very charming. Hey, I also like Detective Pikachu quite a lot. I mean, is it a video game adaptation? You know, it's not like. But I guess in the same way, Castlevania is it like adapting an existing plot necessarily? So yeah, I'm gonna call Detective Pikachu a video game adaptation. It's good. It's very... I like it a lot. Detective Pikachu is really good. All right. But yeah, like I think to come back to the point, though, the thing to note is that it's not MIBs that are like, you know, the problem here. Uh, you know, ripping up the clubhouse. It is the more mundane, if you will, issues of, you know, production problems, people not following instructions. The same shit that you follow or you have in any sort of collaborative group effort in a workplace or elsewhere. And credit to the show for being about that rather than, you know, some other <laughs> nonsense. Oh my god. We, re- we really have opened up like a whole fucking... Listen. We're walking? We're walking no, alright. I'm gonna walking. answer these all in turn. Okay. Oh my god. Detective Pikachu had too much Mewtwo abuse. You're right. It did. That fucking sucked. I Like, free Mewtwo. <laughs> um, I guess you guys just haven't seen the masterpiece that the Mortal Kombat movie is looking on. I have seen it. Castlevania is better, and so is Detective Pikachu. Well, I, unless you're talking well, about Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which is clearly the greatest piece of cinema ever made. Um, I mean, Mortal Kombat the movie tested its might and was found lacking. <laughs> the soundtrack rocked, though. The soundtrack was oh, absolutely great. Du, 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 no, that's just the Immortals track. There's also an amazing KF, KMFDM remix, the Juke Joint Jezebel, the Giorgio Moroder mix that plays when Sonya and Kano fight, that rules. Also, at the end of the movie, when Liu Kang says, let's go home, it starts to play the Halcyon on and on track, but I believe it's Orbital? That track rocks. It's a great soundtrack. Do not besmirch I mean, the I'm Mortal all, Kombat I'm all this fucking, I don't, I don't know. Oh, I mean, okay, Street Fighter movie, like with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like, there's a lot <laughs> to love in that film. Yes. Raul Julia specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, that scene of him like, the day it was that Tuesday, yeah. walked mm-hmm. into your village was the greatest day of your lives. Yeah. But for me, 
It was Tuesday. <laughs> it was superb. Superb. Anyway, anyway um, we, should, we should soundtrack. What's, uh, uh, what, so, what's your favorite uh, Castlevania? Should we save that for the Castlevania podcast? Yes, okay, right. yes, yes. All right. Um, is it my turn now? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, Talk, monster. You don't belong in this world. <laughs> God damn it. Um, what is a man? I went off board there a little bit. A um, miserable pile of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so like I talked a minute ago about the the difference between Asakusa and how she relates to her mom, and then Mizu. Uh, but what that whole scene was really fascinating. But you know what it made me wonder: mm-hmm. Where's Kanemori's parents? What is her relationship like to her family? I mean, uh, is she just totally independent woman who, like, actually lives at that ramen shop? Like, is she? Uh, does she? Does she you, not? You know, are her parents dead? Are her parents? Does she just you, not? You know, like, what? What's going on there? I, th- I, I think speaking in terms of structuring a show and like how much you say versus what you don't, much in the same way that I said about the dad, you know, um, also Mizu's dad. Like, the less we know of him, the better, because it just makes him to be less of a relatable person, more just a force exerted on on them. Uh, I think the less we know about Kanamori's back... I mean, this is why I said about, like, you know, the balancing act between her being human versus her being this force of nature. Like, and I think that, you know, the less we know about her, the better. Sure. Because it takes... It strips away some of the magic, I think, of her character. <laughs> I, mean, I don't I don't want to, for example, see a scene where we have a flashback of her father literally seeing her rear pics. You just tripped over... Let that, you, let, let that be a mystery. You just... Let that be a mystery. You just tripped over Kanamori's dark past on your way in here. <laughs> Like, yeah, let the, let the, let that be a mystery if it's true or not. Let's imagine it. You know, I mean, this is a show about imagination, after mm-hmm. all. And uh, the beauty yeah. of that. Like, I don't think uh, I'm with you. I don't think it's like uh, it's not a flaw of the show or anything like that. At least not yet. Um, but it just made me wonder. Like, yeah. it it put in a, a space here. You know, and uh, that that put the question in my brain because. They're taught the two girls are talking about their families and like the differences between them. And it's a group of three. Why don't you talk about your family? Like, again, I don't think it's like bad. I'm just really curious. Like, is there like, does it just not exist on paper? Or does it does it just not matter? And they're not talking about it? Are they going to save it for like the lore guide? The Roman album that comes with the release of the anime? Like, um, oh god, I can't. I can't wait to find it on the mal list. But anyway, I think that. Oh, clearly. I think that the point. Yeah. To, I, I think the point. Yeah. To, I think the point to make though is that it's very illustrative of how, in storytelling, and particularly shows like this with a very clear purpose, that sometimes being circumspect with details is to your benefit, mm-hmm. rather than you know being exhausted or elaborative. I mean, in fact, if you think about it, Asaku's like you know, she's all about like you know exhaustive, exhaustive reams of lore about everything that she comes up with. And yet, just because Kanamori exists in the show, we know very little about it. She's better for that. Yeah. Time and place, application, I guess so. things I keep banging around sure. every time I do a podcast. <laughs> no, I t- totally. Um, yeah, right. Are, are Kanamori's parents actually Yakuza? This is the thing I wonder about. It's, it's curious. To me, to me, she's very much a human. As much as we joke about her being a force of nature, like, I think she's very lovable. She's not like, you mm. know, if it were a force of Nino, you can't really love a hurricane. 
I guess you can love Godzilla, who is a sort of a force of nature, but he's also a character, really. Um, so, yeah, Kanamori's a character who I care about and everything like that, so I think it's only natural to wonder that. But I am agreement with all of you that, like, uh, it's not a thing that we really need for the show to um, be complete or anything like that. I was just curious. Fair enough, then. Uh, <clears throat> right. Um, so one final thing I'll note here is just to elaborate more on the idea of non-linear production. Because, again, to this show's immense credit and its value, I think, as education of all things, it makes it clear that, you know, a film or a complete product is the sum of its parts and they cannot be considered in isolation. You have to bring them all together. And that's not just with the moment later on in the episode where they start, you know, putting sound effects in over the robot's walking sequence. Remember the voice acting. Now, okay, the, the robot dude, like the robot dude, he's bad. He he's bad. Mm-hmm. He, he is he's bad. super bad. I I like he couldn't like you know announce clean up on aisle four properly by the sound of it. He couldn't he couldn't do that. He made he me laugh you know, a lot. <laughs> this, his <laughs> <yeah>. whole attempt. <laughs> he, he couldn't he couldn't say uh, you know, Mister Sussle Doctor, your children have been left in the car park. Please come mm. and clean them. Thank you. Yeah, can't do that. But because it would never part happen. Of that, well, there's that. Uh, but part of that problem, though, is that he doesn't have adequate direction. And that's in turn because he doesn't get to see the storyboard. Now, I've discussed previously about the way in which voice acting is recorded on this podcast when I illustrate it through, again, not an anime, but still a worthy example, uh, the Batman animated series, particularly uh, Mark Hamill's performance as the Joker, where they would record him doing his lines firstly and then storyboard afterwards mm-hmm. based on his physical gestures like I'm doing right now. Again, if you're listening to this in podcast format, you can't see me doing all of the hand motions I am, but I'm still doing them. And guess what? There ain't nobody in this fucking house. Not that I know of anyway. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of moot, but it's still an important part of like how you go about like acting and emoting. Oh, it's like Princess Kaguya, remember? like They recorded that whole, th- every dialogue, like years before they had a lot of those scenes animated. In fact, one of the voice actors died in the interim. <laughs> you know, which is very sad, yeah. but uh, exactly. So they mentioned that they need he needs a storyboards to actually you know help him emote and talk about that, uh, which he doesn't have. So kudos to this episode for elaborating on that and pointing out that hey, we have gone into detail about the minutiae of like you know getting frames in shot, like you know perspective, distance, you know tweening, you know in between and all that stuff. Uh, everything I could mention, but not one of them on their own you know, is actually worth a jot. They need to be considered as a unison, holistically, if you will. So good on the show for continuing to do that. I think that's really, really neat of it, that it keeps building on layers and layers of its own education here and teaches more and more reminds us of things that we otherwise might think seem obvious in hindsight. But, you know, again, it's one of those things where <laughs> where when everything works, you don't notice. It's true. And I'm sorry. Do- I'm not laughing at you. No, no, I've, I was wondering what I'd got you, though. The, the was part it? when Cesar reminds everyone oh. in chat of the greatest moment in this episode. Like, dude, I fucking lost it. I wanted to go back and watch the end, but for some reason, when I go to, like, Crunchyroll is having problems. Are are you having problems loading Crunchyroll, by the way, right now? Oh, Crunchyroll, Crunchyroll's got plenty of problems. Oh, no. plenty of problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's too easy. It's too easy. Uh, no. <laughs> don't, leave, don't, don't set me up for shit like this, Doc. 
Come, I mean, we're going to discuss those problems later. For God's sake, man. I mean, if I if I just I just had to add, by the way, like you know that scene that Cesar says, that's great. I laughed a lot. Oh, and I also laughed my ass off at the amazing bit where Askus is constantly like. <laughs> Which, you know, I feel like she'd have been in less danger if she'd have been doing that in front of a tiger. I know. Hello, tiger. Hello, tiger. Ah, my finger! I know. I but, know. But, I mean, as for Kanamori, like, saying that, you know, she's not having Just, fun. no. Like, <laughs> That's not I what's could, happening yeah. here. <laughs> Would-be fan artists, uh, you know, if you want to... Here's a free concept for you. Imagine Kanamori traveling through an airport. Um, and, you know, she's going for immigration. And the immigration officer says, business or pleasure. And she just looks at him. Because it's all business. All the time. Z tiny. <laughs> Man. Uh, it's all business. Um, are you are you here to have fun with your friends? No. Oh, God. I wanted to go back and watch the end uh, of that episode to, to get some quotes I have here right. But um, I'll just say my last two things. Um, in the bathhouse, uh, I can't remember what... Maybe it's during the part where... Um, the whole like like um like boat going into the different lifts is happening mm-hmm. but like at some point it's playing this really amazing like traditional japanese music that i think is the kokyu um like some really mm. like sparse strings it sounds so beautiful like i love that to pieces um mm. i believe that's what it is please correct me if it's not the kokyu and it's a different instrument but um i can i can't get enough of that like that is uh just tremendously like like it puts me at ease it puts me in a really centered mellow place um but the last thing i want to talk about like you know i am the one i think on this podcast that likes to get metaphysical a lot of the time oh oh. so that final i get drunk that's that's my strength Mm -hmm. on this podcast not dissimilar uh not dissimilar pursuits i would argue um so like the speech at the end by mizu i feel like is kind of incredible for a lot of different reasons like Mm. you know i talked about that it was just reinforcement of everything that we saw at the beginning in the first three minutes right um but also she says something to the effect of that anime is the best way to approach movement. Every movement is intentionally drawn and it gives that movement a bigger impact for being imbued with that intentionality. Each movement mm. is given a bigger impact. Like, just think about that, right? Like, that is some that is some like spiritual shit you have to basically create a fictionalized representation of reality in order to appreciate the reality itself yeah and that the fact that it is a person the fact that it is a a person that is getting down on the paper or or the tablet or whatever and drawing the movement is what gives it the bigger impact like that like yeah that for some reason or other reality that's like out there apart from us and every day and we're all kind of milling around in it lacks the impact that recreating it like you said um 
a, a person using their their soul, their brain, their their body to like remake it, like putting that intentionality into it is what gives it the big impact. Like that is something that I feel in my bones is true, but also mm. empirical science would be like, nope, bullshit. A computer could draw uh, it and it will be the same. Well, you know what I mean? What <laughs> well, science done for us, honestly? Science, take a hike. Yeah. Well, and it's not just I mean, the focused effort, Cesar. Like, you know, a computer could could do, could do replicate it, right? But Mizu is arguing that, like, the, the reason, she, like, it has impact is because character animators care about every single moment and the fact that that care and intention is put into it is what is what makes it like it's not just i feel it's like i guess you could equate care and intention with human effort but i feel like the effort part could be replicated by machines but the the care and intention is the is the super added part that can't be and like I mean, she talks about it, like, as if it's her, like, not just, like, a hobby, not just, like, a, I'm passionate about my hobby. It's like, this is my reason for living. It <laughs> sounds like, you know, to me, which is, mm. like, amazing. You know, she's like, I have to proclaim here I am to the people that appreciate each and every movement. So, like, for her, like, drawing these pictures, each movement, each picture, each cut is every single one is her proclaiming, I exist. I am. This is me. Here I am. And that is like amazing. Amazing. And I don't want to, I don't want to like, it's not my desire to get into like an Asimovian, like, could a computer like do a symphony? Like, I, that I don't really it's care like, it's like so those much memes. about. I gave, I, gave, I gave this computer algorithm a thousand Seinfeld scripts and asked it to write one. Here's what it came up with. Yeah. Like, what, what, I, <laughs> what I do care about is like, this is what Mizuzaki believes is the truth. And I think that is, for a person her age, is amazing. And this is, like, sort of probably, like, everyone in Science Saru, like, sort of put, like, their ideas into this. And, like, this yeah. is what we want to say about make it, how making anime makes us feel and why we do it. And it rocked for that reason. So, and I think it's true. I'm I'm into it. I really am into it. So, Doc, are you basically saying that the entire underlying Morse code message, if you will, of this show is notice me senpai? Uh, if you, by senpai you mean, like, the world, then yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm so sorry for that. I feel, I feel a little dirty having made that joke. But no, um, if I may just let it also expand on what you said there, right? So, okay, folks. Let's, again, talk about camera so this right here is my webcam so look at this scene here of all this load of shit that i've got here basically all right now what is currently actually displaying this to you what's transcribing it it's the cells or whatever it is you know inside the camera itself mm -hmm. now if you instead were to take me talking here and start animating it you'd have to do every single bit of that yourself now, I grant you, I'm not trying to belittle live-action filmmaking here because people do incredible things with it. I mean, I talked about The Matrix before. But there's a certain... <laughs> that's, that's your example of incredible things live-action. 
It's a fucking great film. It is a good it's, it's movie. Incredibly, it's a really good movie. It's incredibly well shot. I like that movie oh my a lot. God. It's just like, t- I, name a great live just, action film. <laughs> the Matrix. Like it's just, I'm I'm just busted your balls. I'm fucking around. I'm so sorry for like messing up your mojo. Did, did you did you pay for the vice that you put my balls in with our fucking patron money, you bastard? I'm sorry. Honestly. I'm so sorry. Please continue. Honestly. Uh we'll have words. Like like fuck and you. There we go. Uh anyway, but the point being is that like there's a certain amount of objectivity, quote unquote. Uh, and I know that, you know, all film is basically fiction in some sense or another. But there's a certain objectivity that is afforded to live-action film that doesn't necessarily apply to animation. Um, because it is, you know, the creation of a human hand rather than, you know, film through this tiny little webcam, as it were. So I think, again, that helps relate the personal element and say, like, yes, there is someone behind the camera, if you will, you know, taking the idea of perspective, angle, lighting, etc. All important. But at the end of the day, actually putting the cult, you know, the film, the stuff to film, that's a process that is somewhat outside of their control. And I know there's mm. any film buffs that are probably screaming at me right now. But yeah, there's a certain extra element of involvement in animating the same, an equivalent seeing something that you film in live action that, as you say, really does impart a personal touch on. Yeah. It. Even if it is something manufactured in a studio by several dozen employees, for example. So yeah, I'm I'm with you on that wholeheartedly, Doc. Yeah, and I, I, I like you. I'm not saying this to belittle, like computer animation or co- algorithmically generated um, art or anything like that. I mean, I don't. I want to try to say what I'm saying here without like that being implied, because I think amazing things are possible and have been done with all of that but i just can't help but like you know like felix says despite not being an artist myself like you know so i don't have that same personal connection but like hearing you know all these people speak through the character of mizu and talk about just the like the spiritual dimension of it and how important it is and why people care about it like this is what's happening even if you don't realize it like people are putting their soul into it and it's their reason for being it's a reason for being on this earth is like to in their mind uh is to to draw these oh, pictures um, you know and they're and, and they they pop because they put they put themselves into it that's so yeah, cool exactly. <laughs> I, I i i've got two final things to actually one of them is just relevant is relevant to what you just said here now I don't normally give credit for things that aren't there. As in, like, you know, you didn't include this, and that's a good thing. So, you know, I'd rather not argue from the null hypothesis, if you will. But I want to say, thinking on it, I am so fucking glad that this material did not go the way I originally thought it was going to by showing that uh, Mizuzaki's grandmother had passed away at some point. Oh, you talked... Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. I am so, so happy about that. Um... Mainly because, one, it wouldn't fit the tone in the slightest of this show, which is in of itself a reason enough not to include it. It could very well have happened. We could speculate on that, but it's irrelevant. What I think is neat, though, is that I I think it speaks also to Mizuzaki's reverence for her grandmother, in that Mm -hmm. if that has happened, then that's not what is... That's not what's... Sorry. That is not what is important to her. Rather, she remembers how she lived and the influence that she left on her. And I think that's quite powerful. Mm -hmm. It's like I said before about the influence that people in our lives 
close friends, relatives, etc. can exert on us in terms of driving us forward to pursue a passion that we're strongly into. So, yeah, good on them for not doing that, not going into that pitfall, which you'd think it would have had. Like, you know, that's the cliche, isn't it? Like, you know, death flag on the field. Here's the, <laughs> here's the grandparent. You know, they're really close and all that. Mm-hmm. Closely, very tightly knit. Oh, no, what happens next? But I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, right. the show doesn't need death in it. Like, it, it needs the, that it in just, it yeah. about as much as it needs a Kanamori origin story. <laughs> You know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. ex- exactly. All right. Final thing from me okay. then, and this is the me- this is the meta point Ooh, we talked yeah. about before. I like meta things. So, so you and I, Doc, had previously discussed. I think at least twice on this very series, is Azakin being irresponsible, if you will, about how it portrays animation. You know, because it's got a lot of reverence for it, but there is a lot of drudgery involved in it. And I've had a think on this, and I've come up with a potential answer to it. And the answer is, believe it or not, I don't think that this show is strictly speaking about the creation of anime. Why am I saying Hmm? that? Because bear in mind the original material in which this was created for, which is a manga. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that the show has reached it, or rather the material has reached its apotheosis, rather, um, by being an anime. I think that that's the point in which, you know, it is, you know, idealized. And also why I think that good intentions, though they may have, making a live action version of it is ill-advised. You know. Yes, I agree. That would be... It loses <sighs> It loses some of the impact. It would be horrendous. Unless you had Edgar Wright doing it. <laughs> it probably I mean, cost get, a get, lot of money. Um... Get Scott Pilgrim era Edgar Wright doing it. And then I reckon you might be okay. But anyway. Uh, I only mention him, by the way, because that's all I know. I'm sure there are plenty of other directors who probably could do that, uh, particularly uh, Japanese ones. But again, I speak only from my limited knowledge here. Anyway, point being, I think that rather because it originated in the manga and therefore works within the limitations of that to convey the same material, I think that it's not strictly speaking about animation, although it is great, very much detailed into that, but rather I think that it's a celebration of the creative process. And that's why I think it's content to not necessarily tackle the animation industry's flaws as deeply as we otherwise might want it to be, because it's not strictly speaking about that. Mm, well, thin perhaps, but I think that depend- you've got to consider right. the original material it came from, like the original format. That feels very key to me, especially given how different it is as an anime versus being a manga, even if the material is otherwise identical, just by virtue of being that. Mm, I mean... I still think you, it could have said something about the anime industry while still being a manga. I don't know how, like, I'm not, I guess not quite getting your, the format argument. Well, it's, it's said, it's said things about it, you know, like here's the 500 drawings element, mm-hmm. but it's never really been to either, I would argue in detail about the living conditions or the like, or the actual career, if you will. Well, sure. Th- this is, well, this is what I'm saying is like. I think we're not gonna. I'm not gonna be able to give like a fair assessment on all this until the end of the show. But like, mm. you know, it it uh, it is going there. Like it is about anime, and it is you know, especially episode four mm. is just laying it all out there. And like, I think. I don't know. I don't know if I really want to visit the topic 
too strongly again, but like, okay, for instance, like, I think that there's like, there's a good way to, um, to do it, uh, to, to make criticisms about the anime industry by presenting a scene, but not commenting on it and letting the audience draw their own conclusions. Like for instance, Mm. this episode when Mizuzaki is not interested in eating, she only wants to draw through lunch and continue to animate. Um, mm. And now, if you think about it for a minute, like, of course she's doing this because she loves anime, but is she doing this because she loves anime? Or is she, or sorry, she loves animation. Is she doing this because she loves animation? Or is she doing this because she loves animation and there's a fucking deadline? I think if the deadline was not there, she would not be skipping lunch, is my assertion. And so I think that the show is like, you know, like uh, actually doing a good there by like just putting that there and letting you draw a conclusion. But there's some stuff in episode four where it felt like it had a point of view, maybe, um, or at least it was inadvertently putting one out there. um, And, well... I did not think it was very good at all. But again, I think like yeah. So, so I think you know we would. I, I want to reserve final judgment, of course, until the end of the show here. Um, That's fair. Um, the point you made about her skipping lunch, like that, I think is the like her example, or rather endemic, if you will, of how he's going to approach the the um, issue of like animation you know being such a torturous job that it takes a lot of you in that it acknowledges that there's a problem and as you say leaves us draw our own conclusions but sometimes you know there are writers who use subtext i know they're all cowards sometimes you need to be very on point with stuff like this and maybe that would be but again that would also not gel with the show's tone so yeah i think it's good subtext is good sometimes it it can be maybe not in all circumstances sometimes things need to be called out for what they Mm -hmm. are um, but again, I think that, you know, there might be some evidence that maybe it's not necessarily about that, uh, about specifically the foibles of the animation industry and the struggles. Like, there are struggles, oh, yeah. certainly. I, yeah. but, but I think yeah. I think maybe it's more seeing a product to fruition. Although, fun thought for you, which I'll leave off at this point before we go on to the cl- including our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Here's a theory. What if, crazy as it sounds, what if the reason Azekin was originally a manga was because the author wanted to make it as an anime from the get-go and couldn't do it for some reason. Now, there's a metaphor for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, just going to leave that. I agree with you that you, I... You just let yeah. that, you, you just let that sink in. I, I, think it is, <laughs> I think it is fair. What would you do? Let that sink in. I think it is fair to, uh, to say... Um, okay... The show is not about addressing industry problems as like that. That's not like a uh, one of the main purposes of the show. I think at this point we can conclude that fairly, you know, but I guess the question then is like, should it be more about that? Or can you make a show about the anime process without offering a point of view about that? There's all these different kinds of questions. I don't because I, I don't know. Um, it would be like, gosh, I don't want to make a really, I don't want to do an example in poor taste. So maybe I just shouldn't do an example, but I feel like to me, it's, it's pretty clear that like 
if your goal is to make um, well, no, it's at the meatpacking industry, I think last time is the example I used. If your sh- if your show is if if your if your goal is to make a piece of media about uh, these characters, you know, going through the process of something and the creative process in a super fraught, you know, really unjust, gross, abusive, exploitative industry, it's going to be really, really difficult to do that without like showing some of that gross exploitation and like having some kind of point of view on it. It's just hard. And, you know, the show, I think up to this point has, like I said on Twitter um, last week, I think it was, I think it's like towed the line. I think it's done really well um, apart Mm -hmm. from a few quibbles. Like I talked about in episode four, but again, we'll see where we'll see where it goes in an episode um, or so by the end of it, because, you know, this show has like, um, kind of gotten both of us off of our asses a little bit in terms of like, yeah, we know the anime industry is rife with, with problems and, um, and is unjust, but like this show has really made us start to think, you know, as water, we just show, is there anything that we can like, is there anything we can do about that? Like what's like, what's our sort of, what action could we take, you know, to, to bring about some change in any meaningful way? Indeed. Um, I'll add another final thought I'll just end off here like you said about how this show ends I wonder um, if what we see at the end is they obviously complete this project and they air it and it's great but then none of them progress into animation as a career uh, not even Kanamori is like you know a producer if you will because I did mention before I could see Askus as a theme park writer and I said that in jest but let me change that let me flip that around a little bit what if instead she was an engineer what if she instead she designed like you know vehicles like you know equipment for people airplanes you name mm-hmm. it i can totally see her doing that because she's got the imagination and the passion for it and then in turn what about say mizaki like you know if she maybe she does become an actress for own reason who can say i don't know but i can see for all three of these characters kanamori could run any company she wanted <laughs> yeah she really could she really could I could see for all three of these characters how this experience that they've had collectively could very well lead them to having careers that have nothing to do with animation. Sure. But again, is all about the spirit of creative of the creative process and what they're ultimately talented at being honed and brought about. We'll see. Um, I'm I want I want a happy ending for them one way or another. But I think it's fascinating just again how this show, like whether or not we agree or disagree about if it's you know hammering home the point about animation as a career being like you know torturous and like you know actually quite depressing like i think that it's still very very much in favor of hey this is a joyous thing i know we should be pre- yeah yes well and like i said i believe it's so true what what mizuzaki says at the end like that there's something trend i'm doing it for transcendent me. about about um about making art and about experiencing art um you know, uh, but I just think, like, I don't understand why I meet resistance on this point. Like, I, I know, I don't, I don't think that the show is, a, is, is, is trying to be a screed against the animation industry. I've said that. I don't think it is about how bad Should it, it be? is. But I think at the same time, us loving anime and thinking how cool it is 
is not a reason not to talk about this stuff. And it's not, I mean, and I think I agree with Grizzly in that, you know, he said earlier, like, the show is, has like a lot littered throughout it that is biting when it comes to standards and practices of the anime industry and how it treats its workers. But because, I mean, I think we're all workers in some degree who listens to this podcast. Um, so like you think that people would be in favor of like, you know, and, and sort of pro like, yeah, like let's like talk about how the workers are fucking uh, done dirty because it's shitty and like, and we love anime. I don't want anime to go away. Uh, but I want, but I want like, some anime to go away. But forever. <laughs> <laughs> just, just <to> be clear. <laughs> but I don't know, man. I'm kind of ra- I'm rambling, but like, I just I do think that it is a thing that people are sort of it's kind of talk themselves into not worrying about as much because anime is cool. But but mm-hmm. we should worry about it. And maybe, like, to your point, anime should go away. Some of it should, because too much of it's being made, and people are... And, and these these animators are are dying because they're making it for the the equivalent of, like, 900 bucks a month. F all. Like, an anime is a $2 billion industry. Fuck that shit, mm-hmm. man. We need to talk about it. And, like, I, you know... And and this show again, I don't think the show wants to do that. Like by and large, I think it does want to say like, oh, like you know, making art, making anime is incredible. Um, and I just think as a dis- when we discuss it, like part of the implication should be like, hey, um, it's incredible, but like people should be treated fairly because it's so incredible. Just a moment. Well, so yeah. The anime is only incredible because of the incredible people that make it and all the stuff that they go through doing it. So there you go. Uh, Doc appears to have been summoned. Uh, I don't know if he's going into, into his own isekai at this moment, so I apologize for the delay as he is currently whisked off elsewhere. Hopefully he'll come back without having, you know, purchased a few slaves while he was at it. I can hope. He's a good guy, our Doc, you know. I Hopefully he you know, doesn't end up doing that. Anyway, I suppose uh, while this is happening, I will recount the polls for everyone then. So if you'll excuse me just a moment. I have to fly solo, it's very dangerous. I also don't know why I'm whispering. Sue, polls then. So, episode seven, poll number one. Was the opening three minutes the most wholesome three minutes in anime this year? And by the way, this is the, as far as I'm concerned, this question applies the entire year, even for stuff that we've not seen yet. Sorry, but if you want to be better than this show, you should have released it earlier. I mean, yeah, okay, that's that's maybe a bit dark given what we were just, just discussing about the drudgery of anime creation, but anyway. Uh, so, A6% say yes. And I agree. And someone, I don't know who, and I feel bad for them. I hope they, you know, are okay and not struggling and actually do have a soul. Uh, they've said, I have no heart. <sighs> dear, oh dear. Next up, it's not you. It's not you, Yukinon. Hmm. That's the entire reason I grow this beard, by the way, just so I can stroke it thoughtfully. You know, it's not for looks or anything. Anyway, episode seven, poll number two. Is the background art guy the worst? 
Uh, 83% say totally. And 17% say, eh, not quite. And, you know, maybe it could be that he's, you know, depends like if it's malicious or not, but anyway. But, uh, no, I think I think he's a bit of a dork and like, the, the instructions were clear. Don't draw the fucking car. Like, why are you drawing the car, dude? Like, of all the things that they said for you to do, don't do it. Maybe he's got, like, you know, an entire pin board back at home, this art guy, and he just draws cars all the time. Who could say? Anyway, uh, to give you a speed, Doc, we're currently covering the polls, so I'm just going to read through them now. Okay. All right, go for it. Uh, so episode seven, poll number three. Can Mizuzaki's parents fuck right off? And you think I ghostwrote that one uh, with that kind of language. Uh, but we've actually got a fairly even split here, which I think is fair. Uh, 57% say right off. And 43% say, are they that bad? And You will know soon. I, the, the more we get. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it ties back to my point where I made where, like, you know, the mum disconnected, doesn't care, you know. Mum doesn't care is perhaps too strong, but maybe doesn't realise. Well, it's... You can well, look, you have a child who, in Mizuzaki, who, whether her parents are doing this... And she and she has discerned it, or she believes it, and is make you know, that's that's what she believes is happening. Um, she is under the impression that like she's being forced to do this modeling career to live out her mom's failed uh, ambition. Not not a great thing for you to do as parents. <laughs> I don't, I know that no, we I know we haven't seen them, but do we really have to like? have them on camera being like i am evil to like know that they're <laughs> shitty like they have their kid could someone gift that reaction that face there my god like to uh, evil yeah. like their their kid their kid uh you know either like uh this is happening and she's figured it out or she just thinks it's happening either way it's bad it's very bad it's very this bad is true. I mean, we were all in on, like, you know, JR and, like, hey, Julia Rich and hey, kids, like, you know, their concerns are valid. I mean, I'll just note this, though. Like, at least Mizuzaki's father isn't trying to placate her by buying, you know, like, appropriated Native American, like, junk from the US. Uh, as as in, like, Parasite, if you've seen that. <laughs> you know what I'll be talking about if I'm referring to that. God. Who'd have thought, like, you know, we'd get so many each the, Eat the Rich stories around this time? But hey, here we are. All right, final poll. Ooh, ooh, this, this, good thing I'm reading this one out. <laughs> are Shaden's puns getting better or worse via Gero? Thanks, Gero. You know, something something that, you know, that will be left on my, uh, you know, open casket funeral mm-hmm. eventually. Just a, just a screenshot of this poll. Uh, 29% of you... Uh, presumably wanting, you know, gain my good books so I can buy them booze at some point, have said better. And <laughs> 71% of you rightly said worse. See, even I'll admit it. I'll admit they're bad. But I'm proud of it. I'm proud of my badness. Oh, yeah. This um, is our MO. <laughs> but anyway, it is our MO. I mean, it's the name of the podcast. But anyway, thank you very much to everyone who took part in the polls. I really appreciate taking your time to put your two cents in. They will be up all week long. Get resweeted. You know, let everyone get involved in them. I want to hear all your thoughts on this. And hey, you know, if you think of a really bad pun I've done at some point, you're more than welcome to put it in the <laughs> replies to the tweet. Why the hell not? Let's get a hall of shame going. I'm for that. 
All right. So I think that concludes our discussion mm-hmm. then of the episode. So we'll wrap up now. Uh, Doc, I'm going to pass it over to you first to offer your final thoughts on racing. Oh, man. Uh, well, for the... F- I, have a feel- I have a feeling what your racing's mm-hmm. going to be, but I'll let you uh, crack on. Uh, for the first three minutes and the final speech alone, mm-hmm. this episode would merit a very high rating. But, like, there's all the incredible, you know, greatest world things with the, like, boats going into the lifts, the whole bathhouse scene, just all of it, like, from the fun discussions to like the like kaiju fight in the water to um man just uh the self-reflections by the characters and like the little moments of like when when cesar said uh you know kanamari was like no i'm not here having fun with friends and then the whole like just the brief aside about uh uh, Asakusa contacting her mom and the comparisons that that bring like oh, just everything about it I loved it this is my like probably like my s- second favorite episode maybe third favorite I don't know it's up there with one and four to me as like mm. the best in the show so far so uh, I'm gonna give it uh, uh, five uh, Kanamori's wearing Asakusa's hat out of five <laughs> nice nice Okay, um, for me, I think one thing that needs to be stated again is that this show is just fun. Like, for all that we've been talking, like, you know, um, about various things, like, you know, about how animation works, the character stuff, um, all sorts of stuff like that, it's still fun. And what I especially appreciate about this episode that I forgot to mention is that the fun in this particular episode is in service of the downtime that they otherwise would be denied in the actual industry, funnily enough. You know, they're allowed a moment, you know, just to goof off and be themselves, to get back to what made them, you know, uh, like, you know, do this in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like with the scene where, you know, like, just like, you know, the kaiju bit and then the zoop. Like, no, that doesn't serve any purpose to the animation whatsoever, but they're still enjoying mm-hmm. it. They still have that core enthusiasm mm-hmm. for it, which is really, really nice to see. So it's still a hell of a lot of fun. I still laugh my tits off every time I see stuff like Kanabori just trying to bite Asukuza's head off. Uh, I think that it, again, continues to do a really good job of fleshing out character without belaboring it or going so deep into it. There's a time and a place for that stuff, and certain shows should indeed be all about that and do fall short of meeting the standard of like how much character they should have in it. This is, again, balance. It's all perfect on this one. The opening minutes, as you say, were spectacular. I love the intimacy of it. I love how personal, like, I related to that. My grandfather, as I mm. say, like, you know, I made no joke that even though I didn't end up, like, you know, becoming a mathematician as a result of it, that's still a very fond memory of him that I have as a result of that. So I can totally get why to me, Zaki, that would be important as a driving force for Squad, as the basically the one family member who's encouraged us to do what she wants. Crazy, I know, ain't it? Um, so I originally was a little cooler on this episode, but having rewatched it and talked to it with you, Doc, I feel very infused about it as well. I don't think I can quite give it the full five, but I will give it, um, in the end, in the end, I'll give it 4.75 caught crayfish out of five. It's a victory. That's a victory. Uh... Did you think I was going to go yep. lower than mm-hmm. that? I did. So I'm wow. happy. I'm happy. Wow. That's that's something. That's cold, man. That's cold. <sighs> all right. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. In we that did case, it. Then, folks. So thank you all very much for joining us this Thursday evening. It's always good to have people in the audience, especially 
I must again stress, I really, really appreciate people offering their own experiences and how they relate to this show. Uh, particularly if you've been in any sort of creative process yourself. Like, mm-hmm. me and Doc, like, you know, I can speak for myself and say my creative talent starts and ends with a word processor. Or maybe <laughs> Microsoft Excel if I'm feeling frisky. So there's only so much I can bring to the table on this one. But one thing that I really feel like I want to do with this podcast going forward is to try and get more voices in. People who can offer like perspectives that me and Doc, and I don't mean to necessarily speak on his behalf here, but perspectives that we can't really offer. I can't draw for shit. Yeah. Stick figures, too much. Mm-hmm. Whoa, don't expect that. Ain't happening. So do keep coming back, if only because I want to hear more about your thoughts of it. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, on on the show and what it means to you personally and how you relate to it. I would very much like that. And in turn, if you want to keep talking to us about it after the stream ends or after you've listened to the podcast, we're always open for that. You can get to us at Warridesho on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, you know, email us at at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to talk about it. And I suppose that actually nicely segues on if you want to talk to us more often than that, uh, we do have a Patreon. Uh, our Patreon has three tiers. Uh, you get yourself on the $2 tier, get yourself Discord access. Uh, you get yourself on the higher dollar tiers, you can get yourself access to our Jeweler Richard episodes. You can get early access to ad-free versions of the um, podcast for this as well. Um, you can ask us questions week on week about shows that we've been covering. No questions this time around, unfortunately, for Azekin, but that's fine. Sometimes, you know, we get a lot, sometimes we don't. That's how it be. Mm-hmm. And you can also then, in turn, if you subscribe <laughs> to the highest dollar tier, ask us to cover an anime of your choosing mm-hmm. in, in audio essay format. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's uh, plenty to look exactly. at. Exactly. There's extra shows. Um, there will be... There's extra content. A lot of it has, you know, we, we've... I think in the last few months we put out a, a pretty decent amount. Like, we did uh, some re- deep dives on three Studio Ghibli movies. Uh, pretty recently, oh, yes. Laputa and Princess Mononoke and Princess Kaguya. We've done, um, we've done uh, a loaded uh, guest list show on the yes. anime of the of uh, the decade, rather. Um, mm-hmm. And everyone, I piled Guilty Crown at Christmas. You did the Guilty Crown show. Um, you did the Tokyo Godfather show that at, you did that a few months ago for the patrons, but that has recently yeah. come out again uh, on public feed. Yeah, and it's relevant because Tokyo Godfather is coming back. Oh, and um, by the way, just to get sideways shotted at people on the internet because I love doing that. If you're going to bitch about the fact that, you know, for the new dub for Tokyo Godfathers that Hannah is played by a trans actor, go fuck yourself. Wait a minute. You heard me on that. Is it because they want the original actor or because the actor because is, it, because, is trans? Because it's politically, because political correctness got mad or some shit like that. They're a trans person in the story. I don't. I will refer you to my previous statement. Go fuck yourself. Well... I don't that beat all. <laughs> Jesus. Yes, exactly. Um, but no, there's there's lots of great content there. So, uh, you know, take a look around. Feel free to subscribe. Um, or, or uh, you know, if you can't, then just uh, rate us, follow us, review, all that good stuff on all the free places that you find this fair pod ocast. Indeed. Uh, so, um, Doc, where can people find you on the internet, Doc, if they want to get uh, you specifically? At the subtle doctor on Twitter. You know, please mm-hmm. at me about anything and everything. 
Mm. Speaking of uh, everything, this is a little unprompted, but I'm going to put you on the spot here. I believe that you do a couple of other projects as well that people might want to know about. Oh. You're right. Bring, bring them You're up. Right. You know, this is open forum. Uh, Talk about Well, Tell so us. I do a general media pod with uh, our friend, uh, world famous Bucket. Um, yes. Anime News Network's own James Beckett. Uh, Jim Mullad. Mm-hmm. Top, top yeah. guy, top guy. You can find him at Kick the Beckett. Uh, he's in our Discord, uh, along with all the friends of the pod that you heard on the Anime of the Decade show. They're hanging out there. You can get a hold of them there. Um, but you can listen to our podcast. It's uh, The links are on at Kick the Beckett, but it's on Spotify. It's on Apple Pods, you know, pretty much everywhere uh, except for SoundCloud that you, that you could find a podcast. Um, we did um, some uh episode commentary on evangelion so we just talked over the episodes while they were playing like the godzilla podcast uh and now we're we're not doing that but we're um we are covering a little bit more in the style that you and i are but in chunks uh we're doing the legend of korra uh fantastic piece of uh american animation from early last decade uh and i've never seen it before so I have seen the first Avatar show, but I have not seen Korra before. So I'm loving it. It's so good. Um, <laughs> and I also do a wrestling pod uh, called Grappalicious. G-R-A-P-P-L-E-I-C-I-O-U-S. Um, on Spotify, on uh, Apple as well. Um, and it's also in my Twitter bio, the link to the, the Twitter uh, of Grappalicious, but me and David Majors, again, from the Anime of the Decade show, uh, he he has a really good anime podcast called Anime Podcast of Some Sort. Um, his is mainly news-focused um, rather than covering specific pieces of content in depth, but like, um, it, it's a good show, and uh, me and him, you know, we're both longtime wrestling fans. Him, much, much, much longer time than me. <laughs> so we talk about pro wrestling there. A lot of Japanese wrestling. Um, it's really fun. So it's it's been on like, not hiatus, but like we haven't got to do a show for a couple months, but it's coming back soon. We're recording this weekend. There you go, folks. Definitely check all that extra content out. But otherwise, that brings us to the end of our Thursday night uh, talk. Uh, we'll be going and doing after hours in a bit. So that, by the way, is something you can also get on our patient. Mm-hmm. I will be complaining at length about the Crunchyroll Anime Awards, but also having an actual discussion about it. So you can get the best of both worlds. You can get, you know, contemplative me and pissy me all in one. Anyway, on that fine note, we will be back next week uh, with guest star as well. We have another friend of the pod yeah. coming back. Alexander Smith, great gentleman classy dude really looking forward to him back on the podcast he's been with us a couple of times before i think he cut he was there for uh fidgeco media mm-hmm. if i'm not mistaken and yep. um, there was one other but i can't remember uh that one has sure not come another. out yet <laughs> uh, but uh but he was enough. on anime of the decade and uh you have to refer to him by his full moniker he's not simply alex smith he is the sh- alexander he is the shit he is the chef Alexander Smith. Did you? You were about to say he's the chef. No, the you? chef. You nearly, no, you nearly said that. He is the chef. So I sounded you, like you must to refer me. to I'm him sorry. as the chef. He's the mm-hmm. chef. Fair enough. Then, so we'll have the chef on next week. Really, really looking forward to that. Definitely check it out, folks. But until then, as we're often fond of saying on this podcast, brace yourself, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Good night. Wow. Good night. 
we'd like to say thank you to our new friend Maso Soundworks for allowing us to use his track GPS as the intro theme. And thanks to our longtime buddy, once again, Garode Music, Michael Kelly, for allowing us to use the track Every Day is Night from Valhalla for the outro music. And a very special thank you to each and every one of our patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, head on over to patreon.com slash watery dish show.